Though the tech industry has long avoided labor unions, Kickstarter recently became one of the first to unionize in the industry as of February. And with issues at Google, Blizzard Entertainment, Microsoft, Amazon, and other companies, you better believe unions have their sights set on those companies too. Tech jobs are thought by many to pay well, but there have been plenty of underpaying jobs in the industry, especially ever since the last recession we faced. Wages in many jobs haven't recovered. What does a unionized workforce look like in the tech sector? We discuss that today on Joey's Totally Tech. podcast called Joey's Totally Tech. Oh, cool. What is the podcast about? You can't tell from the name of the podcast? Nope. Cats. It's about cats, and it has nothing to do with tech. Hi, it's Joey here. There's actually a lot more that I wanted to go over about unions and tech than what we have in this episode, and interviews I wanted to do too. But I just wasn't able to get that done. So this will actually be a two-parter. This, of course, is the first part. However, we already have other episodes planned for the next few weeks. So the second part of this will likely be sometime in April. Labor unions have long been associated with blue-collared workers and low-paid white-collar workers and not-so-much-white-collar tech workers. However, the Brooklyn-based crowdfunding site Kickstarter recently voted to unionize. There had been talks of unionization in the tech industry for the past year or so, and some groups have even given out information about organizing at tech and gaming conventions. And now, Kickstarter is the first unionized workplace in tech. An associate professor of employment law at the University of California, Vina Dubal, called Kickstarter's unionization a hugely important step and said it signals to workers across the tech industry that it is both desirable and possible to build collective structures to influence wages, working conditions, and even business decisions. Kickstarter employees have joined the Office and Professional Employees International Union. Contract negotiation has begun over equal pay and inclusive hiring practices. The union's president, Richard Lanigan, said, The tech sector represents a new frontier for union organizing. And just like the frontier days, we're exploring new territory as one has to ask what are the results of unionization? Do tech workers really need to unionize? 
Will this help or hurt tech workers in the long run? On November 19th, 2018, Jeremy from the YouTube channel The Quartering talked about Blizzard making pay cuts. He had previously made a video on it, but this new video that he was doing corrected and confirmed some of the things that were said previously. According to the headline, employees say it's far worse than what he had previously discussed. Blizzard offers a lower pay than other companies, but lures people in with the promises of bonuses. The problem is Blizzard is in California. Having lived in California myself, I can tell you that bonuses in that state are taxed like crazy. So you don't have much of that bonus left after taxes. But the company is a good place to get your foot in the door and to put on your resume. Many people at Blizzard work second jobs with Uber and Lyft to make ends meet. Commune houses have popped up where Blizzard employees live. The claim has been made that Blizzard exploits its workers for their passion and the company doesn't pay them fairly for it. And management dismisses any workers who speak up as greedy. Blizzard apparently wants people with passion, but they don't want to pay them enough to make a living. I haven't worked for Blizzard myself, but I've been a web developer, both freelance and employed at various times. And I can tell you from my experience, it's very common for businesses to want to underpay. I worked a junior web development job with a real estate marketing firm called One Park Place in San Diego. The job paid $13 an hour. I was so excited because it was a full-time job and I could finally get out of Vaughn's Grocery where I was working previously. But if you know web development, even for a junior developer, that's not good pay there or anywhere really. A full year of that is $27,040. Fortunately, I was renting a room and not a house or apartment. I was doing all right until I lost that job. But would you believe another company called me after I received this job in the first place about another junior web developer position? Would you believe they wanted to pay less? Yes, they wanted to pay $9 an hour. Keep in mind, minimum wage at that time in California was $8 an hour. And let's talk about my first web development job I had. I had been paid $10 an hour. I took that job at San Diego Cabinets because I had just moved to San Diego and I didn't have any work yet. It's a long story, but I moved there on a whim, taking a risk and just wanted to make it there. I've since figured out that these were ridiculously low wages, even for starting pay for junior web development positions. Why did I take these positions? Well, it was what worked out for me. For whatever reason, I've been ignored when it comes to anything better paying. Now, I've had better paying freelance work from time to time, but that hasn't been steady, so I've had to resort to going back to working in retail. 
But what if there had been a union? Before we get into the possibilities with the union, other major tech companies have also had labor issues. Workers at Google have protested their boss's business decisions, such as Google working on a censored search engine with the Chinese government. They also protested Google's involvement with the Pentagon's Project Maven, which involved drone video footage and low-resolution object identification using AI. They did this in an open letter, too. And 20,000 Google employees staged a walkout to protest the company's handling of sexual harassment. This led to new company policies. This may not be unionizing per se, but it is organizing. The workers fought for change, and change was made. And this brings me to my next point. Two different kinds of unionization methods. You see, the type of labor union that's most common these days does a type of unionism called business unionism or bureaucratic unionism. We're talking groups like Teamsters, UFCW, the AFL-CIO, and the previously mentioned Office and Professional Employees International Union, or OPEIU, which is actually part of AFL-CIO. These unions go into businesses and convince employees to vote to start a union in an NLRB election. Once unionized, the company has to recognize the union and go into collective bargaining contract negotiations, where pay, benefits, scheduling, and more are negotiated. And negotiations might take place every two to five years, depending on the contract. Failure to agree on a contract could result in a strike if the workers have voted to authorize a strike and a contract is not agreed on by a certain date. Strikes and slowdowns can also happen if there are any labor or safety disputes during the life of the contract. Grievances can be made with the union. People can report any violations to the union, and if a worker was fired for what they feel was a bad reason or for no reason at all, they can go to the union and the job is reinstated if the union finds the company didn't have a reasonable reason to fire the employee. And dues are paid to the union as well because the union itself has its own employees and lawyers that they have to pay. At least, if you are not in a right-to-work state, you have to pay dues. In right-to-work states, you don't necessarily have to pay member dues if you don't want to join the union. But there are some states where you still have to pay a small fee for the union. You would want to check with your state regarding the rules on this. This is what you normally have with a union. I myself was part of a union while working at Vaughn's Grocery in Southern California. And then there's solidarity unionism. In this type of union, an NLRB contract is not the goal. 
Instead, solidarity unionism is a model of organizing where workers themselves formulate strategies and take action against the company directly. There's no mediation from the government. The most well-known union known for this type of unionism is Industrial Workers of the World. IWW states that putting power directly into the hands of workers prevents an otherwise inevitable crust of bureaucrats from forming within the organization. Also in this type of union, dues are completely voluntary. No one is working on a contract for you. The workers themselves fight for what they feel they deserve without any mediation. And from what I've learned, this is how the first unions would unionize. The NLRB was brought in for more of a legally binding way to make this happen. But then you have the problem with bureaucrats. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Joey, and I'm recording this for my iPhone 6S. Have you heard about the Anchor app yet? If not, let me explain. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. I'm recording from my phone right now. I normally use my professional microphone at home to record, but hey, I'm showing that you can do this on the phone too. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast. There's no minimum listenership required. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app in the Apple App Store or Android's Google Play Store today to get started. Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So, back to my previous places of work. What if there had been a union? Well, obviously there would have been better pay, though that first job where I was making $10 an hour probably wouldn't be in business because I know the owner. He wasn't going to pay those kind of wages. He wasn't going to give those kinds of benefits. Now, at one part place, That was a contract to employment job, or a job where there was an option to become an employee at least. I wanted to become an employee, but they never exercised the option to make me an employee. I imagine at one part place, had there been a union, I would have actually been made an employee. Then I'm sure the pay would have been more. Currently, the minimum a junior web developer should be making is 50k per year, a value I'm sure a union would fight for. Also, the company had let me go after a few months without telling me. I assume it was a layoff as I heard many other workers were also let go, but I can never totally confirm this. Under a union contract, I would have to know why I was let go. 
and if the reason wasn't reasonable for the company to let me go, then my job would have been reinstated. Or would this happen at all? You see, a big concern about tech jobs being unionized is the jobs would be outsourced to people overseas. And this is a big argument against unionizing in the tech industry. However, I've dug into this a little bit and found that if the union contract has a well-written management's right clause, outsourcing could be prevented. And we've talked a little about strikes and slowdowns, but there's also a tactic companies can use the lockout. During negotiations, the company closes down and prevents its workers from working. This is the tool the company uses so they can get what they want from the union. Okay, so that's how it works in a business union. What about a solidarity union? Well, it essentially happens just like the open letters and walkouts of Google employees. And committees are formed to work together to pressure the company into taking action to benefit the workers. So far, it looks like most organizing within tech has been solidarity unionism, though there may not necessarily be an actual union behind it like international workers of the world. This may be a more desirable route to go for many tech workers, as many companies, especially small startups, might be scared of the thought of a collective bargaining contract. With solidarity unionism, workers get what they want and management doesn't feel forced into a contract and there's no middleman to muck things up. Unions have been controversial for a long time and quite frankly, it's even political. Conservatives tend to oppose unions, while liberals are pro-union typically. However, even at companies that have the appearance of being liberal, such as Google and Target, many are anti-union. And I'd say that's because those companies aren't necessarily conservative or liberal, they're just corporate. And corporations have shareholders that don't like the idea of their company having restrictions placed on them. You may be wondering my opinion, and if I'm even going to give that opinion. Well, it might be dangerous for me to do so, but yes, I'm giving my opinion. I am very pro-union. You see, for a long time, I was anti-union, but I've been on both sides of the aisle in my work history, and as far as unions go, I've come to realize unions are needed for workers. Companies make their millions and even billions on the backs of workers, and too often they'll exploit the workers and underpay them. This is even true in the tech industry, even in the past 10 years or so. The YouTuber Joshua Fluke, who's normally a critic of corporations, actually said that unions were about bullying corporations to get what they want. I beg to differ. Corporations have been bullying workers for years. A union does something about the corporate bullying, 
And in solidarity, whether it be in solidarity unionism or business unionism, the workers fight back to get what the workers deserve. A union fights for fair pay and benefits and for a safe work environment. Blizzard Entertainment workers shouldn't have to live in communes. Workers at Google deserve to know what Google is planning either with our national government or foreign governments. And workers everywhere shouldn't be sexually harassed. Some claim that we have labor laws now and that unions are no longer needed. But as long as corporations find new ways to exploit their workers to get what they want and undervalue them with either low pay, low hours, or salary jobs, where they're working over 40 hours a week without overtime, unions are needed. As long as companies terminate workers for no reason or unreasonable reasons, unions are needed. As long as companies mistreat workers, unions are needed. And with a presidential administration that would love to erode the labor laws that are in place now, Unions are most definitely needed. Though we asked for your thoughts on labor unions in the tech industry, we did not get any responses either in Facebook inbox or on the Anchor app. Still, I'd love to hear your thoughts, so I'm extending this to Friday, April 17th to be played on the next part of unions in the tech industry, tentatively on April 20th. Coming up on March 16th, we will be talking about what cryptocurrency is, followed on March 23rd by a discussion on the related blockchain technology. March 30th, we'll have a bit of an introduction and discussion on Linux and open source software. The April schedule is still being worked on, but stay tuned. Speaking of April, Due to a birthday vacation that I'll be on, there will be no official podcast episode on April 9th, though I will probably leave you with a little something for that day in the meantime. If you're wondering exactly when my birthday is, it's on April 1st. Yes, that's right. I was born on April Fool's Day. Don't laugh. We'll be right back. chips have an unfixable flaw. Coronavirus could lead to a slump in PC sales. Collision Tech Conference is completely online due to the coronavirus this year. Voice mimicking software is now being used by scammers. NVIDIA GeForce now loses 2K games. And AMD has revealed RDNA 2 and CDNA GPU architectures and more at the Financial Analyst Day.
This is Joey's Totally Tech News. First, the Intel chip flaw. After a number of flaws found in recent years, an unfixable flaw has been exposed in Intel's chips. This time, it's a flaw in the Intel's Converged Security Management Engine's mask ROM. This, unfortunately, cannot be patched with a firmware update because this vulnerability allows a compromise at the hardware level, according to security firm Positive Technologies in their blog post announcing the issue. Intel says pulling off an attack would require local access, specialized gear, and a high level of skill, making it impractical in reality to take advantage of this flaw. This flaw affects every Intel chip made in the last five years. Coronavirus could lead to a slump in PC sales. Due to China having to shut down many factories, sales of PCs and PC hardware could be hit. The IDC's latest forecasts predict that COVID-19 outbreak will hurt the first half of 2020's PC shipments. And that may be true for the rest of the year as well. Lin Wang, Research Vice President for Devices and Displays at IDC, said, The existing inventory of components and finished goods from the first quarter will have been depleted by the second quarter. Critical parts such as panels, touch sensors, and printed circuit boards come from China. It will be some time before these factories reopen, as Lin Wan says, we have already foregone nearly a month of production given the two-week extension to the Lunar New Year break. And we expect the road to recovery for China's supply chain to be long with a slow trickle of labor back to the factories in impacted provinces until May when the weather improves. One of Toronto's biggest tech conferences has canceled in-person events this year and moving online because of COVID-19. The organizer said on March 6, we have been liaising closely with our host city, Toronto, for many months and have also followed advice from the Public Health Agency of Canada. Last night, we made the decision in an abundance of caution given the international nature of the tech industry and size and scope of the Collision Conference. They continued, while disappointed, we determined the time to make this decision was now, rather than closer to our June in-person event. The conference takes place June 22nd to 25th this year. Conference leaders are calling this year's event Collision from Home. Attendees will be able to use software that was also used last year to attend the conference online. Though the software was originally built to enhance attendees' offline experience, we believe that we are in a good position to develop it to a point where we can also host Collision from home, the release said. Anyone who purchased tickets to the in-person event will automatically be transferred to the in-person event to be held in June 2021. The guests can also attend the online conference for free. This comes after Facebook canceled its F8 conference 
many tech companies have backed out of South by Southwest and other companies have canceled or backed out of events. Be careful about scammers using voice mimicking software. Scammers can now create a convincing voicemail message with voice mimicking software. You could get a voicemail that sounds like it's from your boss at work, instructing you to wire thousands of dollars to a vendor for a rush project. It seems to be out of the blue, but it's your boss's orders. But it's not your boss. Scammers could use the new technology to fake your boss's voice or anyone else's voice. The voice cloning technology has advanced to a level where anyone with the right software could clone voices from small audio samples. This tech can also be used for emergency scams as well as election season scams. For businesses to avoid these scams, you should set up multi-factor authentication for email logins. Be sure to verify changes in information about customers, employees, or vendors. Also, train your staff on internet security. Make it a policy to confirm all changes and payment requests before making a transfer. And don't rely on voicemail. NVIDIA GeForce Now loses 2K Games titles following Bethesda and Activision Blizzard. On March 6, NVIDIA said that 2K Games is pulling their library from the company's GeForce Now cloud gaming service. All three companies allowed their games own GeForce Now while in beta. In Activision Blizzard's case, NVIDIA reportedly never got permission to keep Activision Blizzard's titles on GeForce Now after leaving beta and started charging money for the cloud gaming service. It's believed that all companies removed their libraries due to a licensing dispute. While the promise of cloud gaming services has seemed promising, licensing issues are dictating what games you can actually stream. AMD has revealed RDNA 2 and CDNA GPU architectures and more at the Financial Analyst Day. AMD held its Financial Analyst Day this past week and offered up an overview of what we can expect in the roadmap technologies execution over the next few years. Topics that were discussed were RDNA 2 Navi GPU architectures and new CDNA GPUs optimized for the data center, along with the Zen 3 and Zen 4 processor families. RDNA 2 promises to bring improved performance per watt and new features that weren't possible with the current RDNA graphics cards. AMD is referring to RDNA 2 as Navi 2X. The Navi 2X GPUs will be found in the Xbox Series X consoles as well. The console's custom silicone is rated for 12 teraflops. AMD is also promising Navi 2X will deliver enthusiast class performance, excellent power efficiency, and top-of-stack GPUs with uncompromising 4K gaming. They also say it will support hardware-based ray tracing and variable rate shading, both of which were confirmed during Microsoft's Xbox Series X hardware announcement. It is still based on the 7 nanometer process node. 
Meanwhile, cDNA, the data center GPU architecture, has been designed from the ground up for MLHPC applications. It will leverage what AMD calls its second-generation Infinity Architecture Interconnect. The first products will be based on the 7nm node. They also reiterated that the first Zen 3-based products will be coming out later this year, which means on the server side we're looking at the Epic 7003 Milan CPUs, and the client processors would also arrive by the end of 2020. But they won't be releasing all Zen 3 processors at once. They plan to stagger the launches through 2020 and 2021. We could see the Ryzen 4000 desktop CPUs by the end of the year, with Ryzen Threadripper 4000 coming in 2021. Ryzen 5000 series Zen 3 mobile CPUs will likely be the last to launch. They also talked about Zen 4, known as Genoa, which apparently uses the 5 nanometer process node. This has been the Tech News and Joey's Totally Tech. This is Joey Cagle signing off. I will catch you next time.